If you have your Bibles, we're going to be doing some foundational stuff tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to be reading. 1 Corinthians 10, yes ma'am. Oh, did Tracy have one? I'm glad because she forgot to remind me. So you're finding 1 Corinthians 10 and Amy's coming to make a quick announcement here. And and you're going to need a microphone, Amy. That's all right. I'm glad you shut me down because I'd have been in trouble later if uh, we hadn't got that announcement out. You are right. All right. We're talking about Operation Christmas Child. This leads right in because Tri-County Ministries, Tracy wanted me to remind everybody that we're collecting toys. And these can be used toys, but they need to be in really good condition, nice toys, because they're going to go to Tri-County Ministries, and they are not going to be given away. They're going to be sold yes. at a very inexpensive cost to the people there so that they can buy them for their children. And um, we need really good toys, clean, with all the parts, nothing broken. And they need things for older kids, too. So if you have any games that your kids don't play anymore, then bring some games, too. And the other thing is we're also doing coats, cans, candy. Candy, there it is. (laughs) Tiffany asked me about that. You heard right. Yes. And because of Tiffany, um, we wanted to let everybody know that if you are picking up candy, right now Walmart is having a great sale, and you can get really big bags, like eight-plus-dollar bags of candy for $2 and $1. They're having 75% off. So if you want to buy big bags of candy for this, go to Walmart now. Great. Coats, cans, candy, and peanut butter. And the peanut butter is a brand new jar, by the way. It's not something you've been gnawing on, and then you you don't like it, and then you're going to give it away. Have mercy. Hey, the reason we're doing that, let me just say one more quick thing, and, and then we'll get to 1 Corinthians 10. Um, this is a great idea. Um, Maria, Gabriel, Casey, Price, my wife uh, as well. Uh, I don't know who gets the credit, so I guess we'll spread the credit around, but But an idea came up out of their meeting that instead of just giving those who are impoverished things, begin to help them uh, understand how you can purchase and 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 put some, you know, put some what we used to call skin in the game, you know, learn what it means to purchase and to budget your money. And so this is a part of a training process as well. So that's why you're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. If I'm giving these toys, why are we making someone pay for it? Well, it's only going to be maybe a buck or two at, at the most, but it helps. It helps the process of what it means to budget your money, to train people, and not just give it away, but, but to earn and to value. We all know how this works. If, you, if you're given something, you don't value it as much as if you pay for something. So, um, it's just a part of the training process. So, we're doing our part to help bring those precepts into uh, the community. And I believe many, many people will be blessed and helped and trained all at the same time. Can you say amen to that? You're at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, aren't you? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Many times on Wednesday night I talk about some foundational things. I do this because the scripture says that the foundations are destroyed... What will the righteous do? And many times that's applied with regards to our nation and even the foundations of our nation. But truth be told, if the foundations in your life are destroyed or if the foundations of your life are weak, then uh, you can't 
go to the next level. You can't go higher, greater, uh, be enlarged because the foundation has not been set with which you can build upon. And our lives are oftentimes likened to a house that God is building. And what are we building our houses? Is it with wood, hay, and stubble or with uh, silver, gold, and precious metal? And are we setting our foundations in so that God can build something great? So that's why oftentimes we go to the foundational concepts again. So don't yawn, don't say ho-hum. God is going to speak something to you that, that you need to hear in order that you can make sure you can go all the way. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to be reading verse 13 here in just a moment. I entitled our lesson tonight, Winning Over Temptation. How many of you know that God has called us to win? Come on, He's called you to win in every area of life. We preach a winning gospel here, a victorious gospel. And uh, we'll get into that more in just a few moments. But uh, it's important to understand that God wants you to win. Satan wants to defeat you. And unfortunately, he's been all too effective in defeating God's people through the centuries. His assault comes initially through what is called temptation. Temptation. Now, temptation, I believe I put a short little definition on the screen. I just defined it like this. A temptation is a desire or a thought that entices a person to something that is against God's will or plan for their life. A temptation. Temptation is a desire, a thought, that will begin to woo you, entice you, draw you to something that is against God's will or plan for your life. You've heard me say this a thousand times, and I guess if I pastor you long enough, you'll hear it another thousand times. And that is nobody wakes up one morning and just says, oh, today's just a great day to go rob a bank. Today's a good day to go get coked out of my mind. Today's a good day to have an affair and lose my marriage. Nobody wakes up one day and all of a sudden says, ah, I guess I'll just do this today. That's not how it works. There's usually a progression. There's usually some incremental steps that begin to take place that leads people to a decision or a conclusion that ultimately brings destruction in their life. And all along these steps, what the enemy uses is what we call a temptation. Now, sometimes temptations are big. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're little things that just, that just begin to take us down a road. It's not something that's gigantic, that's obvious. You know, again, it's not like the gun sitting there. You just pick it up and you shoot somebody. I mean, you, you enter into anger and out of that anger comes rage and out of rage, you know, may come something else until finally you find yourself in a moment where you're just out of control and you kill somebody. So, so understand there's an incremental pattern and temptation falls into each one of those incremental steps that get you ultimately to this place of destruction. Now, how many of you know here tonight that when you're tempted, the draw can be powerful? Come on, let's just, we're human beings. Let's just all shake our head because we don't want to cast out a spirit of lion tonight. I mean, you're in, when you're tempted, I mean, listen, temptation in temptation, unless you wanted to do it. Isn't that true? I, I mean, I mean, temptation is real. 
Now, there are certain things that if I were to throw them out to you, not, you know, if someone came up to me and offered me cocaine, that's really not a temptation to me because I just, just I've never done it. Don't know what it's like. It's not that. I mean, it, that's really not a temptation. Hand me a Snickers bar. You could get a lot farther with me than, than even with cocaine. See, everybody's got a different, but for someone that's addicted to that, let's say, that can be a real hot button. So we've all got our hot buttons. They may be different, but, but when temptation comes, it's, it's a draw. And here's the deal. This is the, this is the crazy thing. Temptation, the interesting thing about temptation is it always comes at just the right moment. Isn't that amazing? Never comes when you're on the mountaintop. Never comes, never comes Sunday at one o'clock. After you get out of church and you've been, you know, sewed into and you've worshiped God and God has come and you're, you know, and you're ready to go. You're ready to find a devil and pick a fight. But give it a few days, just the right moment, just the right scenario. A temptation comes and it can have an incredible impact. Now, listen, this is important because... Because I have watched now for years, I have watched the weak fall, and I've watched the strong, the strong fall. I've watched Christians in, in ordinary places and, 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 and in their seats be ensnared, and I've watched men and women of God who have had years of walking with God under their belt be ensnared. So, so when it comes to temptation, there is no place you get that, that ultimately it leaves you. This is something, welcome to the human race, this is something that's going to show up on your radar till the day you die and you go to be with the Lord. So the question is, how do I deal with it? How do I address it? How do I understand it? And I want you to understand right out, the, right out of the chute that to be tempted is not in and of itself wrong or bad. Temptation is not sin. Now the reason I say that is because sometimes... Folks have an incredibly active guilt mechanism. And for some, now this isn't everybody, for some people I'd like to get them a little overactive guilt mechanism. But for some, you're already born with one. Especially those that have Catholic backgrounds. They seem to do a good job of getting the guilt mechanism operating in people. And the point being is, is that sometimes you can't, you can't even control temptation. It just, it happens. I like what Luther said one day. He said, temptation, he said, there's a difference between a bird that's flying over your head. He said, temptation is like a bird flying over your head. There's a difference between the bird flying over your head. You can't control that. But if you allow the bird to set up a nest on your head, that's something you can control. So you're going to have birds flying over your head for the rest of your life. We just can't let the bird set up the nest. All right? So, uh... We need, to, uh, we need to just strip away the, the, the wrong guilt because maybe you got tempted, you know, welcome to the human race. That, but the, the key is not the temptation. The key is what you do with it. But let me read 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says this. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Which I really like that verse. Uh, and, I, and I'll wait, I'll get to the key points here in just a second. Let me finish reading. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape 
that you may be able to bear it. Now, I want to give you, I think I put three keys. Is that right, Matt? I think I got three keys. Get this. Temptation comes to everyone. In fact, you can't say, you don't understand, Pastor, what I'm going through. You don't understand the draw that I'm having. You don't get my... The temptations that come my way are far more powerful than anyone else's. Just be quiet. It says, no temptation is overtaken you except such as is common to man. It doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's meth, cocaine, if, if, if you're sexually addicted, if it's a Snickers bar. I understand we measure these things differently and there are different repercussions for entering into certain sins. But the truth be told, the, the, the draw is powerful in all mankind. That's number one. Number two, I already mentioned temptation is not sin. It's not sin. And then number three, this is the good news. If you're tempted, it means you're able to overcome. That's what that verse, did you read that verse? It says, but with the temptation, God will also make a way of escape. In other words, there's no temptation that's going to come to you. That's what the scripture says, that God will not be faithful to cause you to prevail. Now, now get a hold of this. You're saying you don't understand what's coming my way. No, you don't get what God's wanting to do. I don't care how big the temptation is. God just said in his word that he will extend to you the power of the empowerment of grace, the help that is necessary for you to make it through. So it doesn't matter what comes, you are without excuse. God is there to help bring you through. Now, that's good news, isn't it? Because you just can't say, I was overwhelmed. I, it just was too much. It just overcame. No, 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 no. It says he doesn't, he wouldn't let that come to you. That's what that verse says. God's saying this. He says, I'm not going to let anything come to you that you aren't fully capable of overcoming. Amen. Now, temptation assault usually occurs in two different areas. The first area is what I've called the desires of the world. This, I'm just generalizing some temptation here. The assault will come usually in two different spheres. The first one, the desires of the world. This is what the enemy does. He wants to tempt you or to draw you to become absorbed in the world system. He's trying to get you to assimilate into the way the world does things, the way the world thinks, the world's perspective. He's trying to draw you into that in some form or fashion. And it can take various forms. For instance, uh, he would like to make inside of the believer material things, materialism, all that the world offers to be your central driving force. I want stuff. I want what they've got. You know, I, I, I want what they have. I, I, materialism. And so he tries to draw us to that. Or he oftentimes tempts us with honor or recognition. So that we, we want position. We want celebrity. We want fame. We want to be recognized. We want what the world has. Now, th does God have these things for his people? Certainly. But, but it was just like when Jesus was tempted by the enemy in the wilderness, you have to understand the enemy took him to a place high above, it says a mountain, above all, all the world that he could see, all the kingdoms. And, and the devil said this, I will give you all of this 
if you'll just worship me. Now here's the deal. Jesus was destined to have a name above every name. He was destined to be exalted above everything. But the key was, are you going to do it God's way or are you going to take the shortcut? That's, that's when temptation comes in. You know, people want the fast track sometimes to get to a place, but they compromise and they yield to certain temptations in order to get there. And sometimes the desires of the world are uh, found in uh, finding the comfort in the world as our basis for security. In 1 John 2.15, we read this. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, this is going to go right up the grain of a lot of our our charismatic brothers and sisters who are doing their best to prosper so they can look just like the world. I'll tell you this again. I believe God prospers. I want God to prosper your house. Listen, I'll say it. I want him to give you raises. I want him to give you bonuses. I want him to give you promotions. Why do I want that? So, number one, your obedience expands by way of tithe and offering, and your capacity to be able to do more in his kingdom is increased. Amen. If you want, if you want a promotion just so you can get more toys, then I just say, no, 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 in Jesus' name. You don't need no more toys. I need millionaires. We're getting a house of God built, we're changing a culture. We got things to do. We need some resource along with that. You don't need another see-do. You need to see God and do His will. That's what that see-do is what you need. Amen. That just that was revelation right there. First Timothy 6, it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. I intend on ending with a zero balance. I've already told my kids, don't expect much. Don't expect a whole lot. I'm exhausting myself for the kingdom. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Now, does that mean God's against being rich? Of course not. But what, what are you to seek first and to desire first? Yeah, you seek first the kingdom of God, and then it says, and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. It says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. You see, there's the verse that I use when I oftentimes say that people who get rich sometimes get brain cramps. They were perfectly fine and good and godly and serving God. And then he prospers them and they crash. For the love of money, doesn't say money, it says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money gets you into problems sometimes. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. So, so that's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to bring us into the system of the world. <coughs> Can I get someone to go run get me a quick little bottle of water? Yeah, Tim's going to get it. Thank you. 
The second area is the desire of the flesh. The desire of the flesh. So he tempts us through the the world system or he tempts us through our own flesh. Now, here's the deal. I don't have a lot of time to get into the flesh. We may talk about this in upcoming weeks. But we still live life in a physical body. And you can be sanctified and you can be pursuing God and you can be holy, but it's still a natural body. And in this natural body, we are subject to the same appetites and desires that can come forth from the carnal nature. Now, Satan oftentimes will use that nature in us. Thank you, sir. Will use that nature in us to our own disadvantage. That's why we have to talk. That's why Paul would later talk about the crucified life, that those passions have to go to the cross and be killed in us. We have to reckon ourselves dead to those things because they're still alive and they're still operating. And so Satan uses those desires in order that we might begin to place greater emphasis upon our desires rather than the Holy Spirit who's inside of us. After a while, we begin to want what we want out of our carnal nature instead of wanting what we should want out of His Spirit and His nature that's at work inside of us. Are you following me? He'll entice you with the flesh. He'll say to yourself, <coughs> well, He says this in the world all the times. I mean, I, I don't keep up with this stuff except it comes up on my AOL homepage. But, but this is the most stupid, silly, ridiculous thing. And all of you will have heard it because we're just inundated with this stuff. But Kim Kardashian was married all of 72 days. We probably ought to give her a trophy. How come? Why doesn't that work? Well, it's because when you're operating according to the flesh, it can never be satisfied. It can never find contentment. It, 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 can't, it can't yield. It can't be selfless. And therefore, it keeps looking for the next better moment or the next deal or more money. And, and, and that's just sort of this, this outlandish, egregious moment. But it happens all through society. People who are married for years and years and years. I mean, uh, uh, I guess I need to be careful because I know this goes on iTunes. So I, I guess I'll, I'll reel that next illustration in. But... But people who've been married for years, all of a sudden, they decide they want an upgraded model. And, it ha- and it's happening, unfortunately, both with men and women. They decide they're going to trade in the one they're with, and they're going to start with a new model because their flesh likes the way they look, what they don't get. And this is why <coughs> second and third and fourth marriages crumble as well. It's because what you find out is, is that you might as well stick with the one you're with because you just have to retrain a new one. Tracy's got me trained. I'm, uh, you know, she gets me. I get her. We've worked this out. We've done 30 years together. I ain't doing this again. I'm going to love the one I'm with. I'm going to make it to the end. We've got each other figured out. It's better than it's ever been. I'm going to just go for, I'm just going for a lifetime. Why, why trade in when you got to start over? But that's what the carnal nature will tell you. And that's the temptation. If, if I had them or I had uh, uh, that person, it would, be, it would be better. Well, no, that's just your flesh talking at that moment. Now, uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on this point, on Satan's victory. You have to understand in the garden we see, if you want to study this out, just, just look at the serpent's interaction with Eve and you can begin to see sort of his diabolical plan 
of how he, how he drew, draws or woos people into his snare. You remember Eve entered into this conversation, and guys don't get too haughty about Eve partaking of the fruit first because as I read it, I think Adam was standing there listening to the whole deal and not doing what he should have been doing. But what happened was, according to 1 John uh, 2.16, 1 John 2.16, we read these words. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Those three items, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those are your three, um, uh, three sensitive areas in your life that you and I have to be aware of. And that's exactly how the enemy came uh, to Eve. He showed her the fruit, and the Bible says that it did look good. It looked good to the eyes. It was pleasing to the eye. And so that began the ensnaring. It was good for food, the lust of the flesh. They were probably hungry. It was good for food. And then the pride of life, he said, if you'll partake of this fruit, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. You'll be just like God. That's how every temptation comes usually within those three things. Now, let's talk about the victory. The victory. And I'm going to leap right now. I've only got a few minutes. So, uh, Matt, I'm going to go straight to the seven keys to continual victory. The seven keys to continual victory. I want to give you something practical in the next 10 to 15 minutes tops so that you can walk out of here and feel like whatever gets thrown at you tomorrow, you can begin uh, to prevail because the Bible says that that's what you've been destined to do. Seven keys to continual, continual victory. Number one. Gentlemen, do you remember this? You must know that the victory is already won. It's already won. You are victorious. Christ has provided victory for you. We preach victory here. We believe there's victory over disease. There's victory over poverty. There's victory over sin. Some of you were taught in your churches, you were taught sin well. Because you were taught you're going to sin every day. You're going to sin every day in word, thought, and deed. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody knows Romans 3.20. It's the only verse we live up to. Yeah, we do. We all sin come short of the glory of God. We hear it, we hear it, we hear it, we hear it. And I often tell people, it says this, all have sinned, not all do sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, certainly. Do I believe we're sinless? No, I don't. Because I do believe in omission and commission. But listen to me. Listen to me. I do believe there's a victory over this stuff. In fact, Romans 6, 7, and 8, those whole chapters talk about victory in this particular area. And that's why we sow victory into you. I, we're not sowing failure into people. You know, you can be so relevant that what happens is you relevant people right into destruction. And you look at everybody, I'm just like you. I just, you know, I have the same problems you have and I have the same issues you have. And I understand we're all human, but we're not trying to be that relevant so we can all commiserate and how many problems we have. Come on, Jesus won the victory. He raised us up in the newness of life. He empowered us by his Holy Spirit. He lives inside of me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. He enables me to discern, to love, to act, to be obedient. He gives me eyes that can see beyond what's in front of me. He can give me understanding. I can hear his voice. Let me tell you, I've got a lot of things at my disposal that causes me to be victorious. Okay? So you got to know that you can win this thing. 
Listen, you are going out that door, and I don't want you going out that door thinking that you're subject to the whims of this world. He has overcome the world, and He has caused us to be overcomers. I can overcome. That's how come I don't have to. I mean... When a, when, a, when, a, when a little young thing walks by and, and, and you know, her mama didn't teach her to put some clothes on her body, I have power to turn my eyes and say, nope, not going there. Come on, ladies, when you see the guy on the magazine rack with the six-pack, then he's been airbrushed just like she's been. And then you got to come home. Well, let's just say it's not a six-pack. It's more like a kegger, you know, that's what... Listen, listen, come on now. We, gotta, we, we can prevail in these things. You got to know that victory's already won. Number two, got to walk in step with the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we walk. We walk with God. We walk in the Spirit. He enables us to prevail. Number three, we've got to recognize temptation for what it is. James 1.15 is a great passage. It says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Do you understand temptation? Let's just say temptation is a thought. There's a thought that crosses your mind. Now, you haven't sinned yet. It just crossed your mind. That thought is, is, is like a seed that if you don't deal with it, what happens is it germinates in your mind or in your spirit. And then what happens is just like when God's word comes to you, it comes as a seed and you have a choice. What am I going to do with this? And if you will now in the good sense, if you if it's God's word and you allow it to come in, you can conceive it. You lay hold of it and God will manifest it by way of his promise. Right. That's that's how God's promises come to bat. Uh, come to pass. You hear his word. When you hear his word, you lay hold of it by faith. You believe it and it is conceived in you. And the minute it is conceived in you, then you have the ability to begin to see that thing be birthed and come forth out of your life. Now, if you understand that and believe that, see, temptation works just the same way, just in the opposite. That thought comes through. If you just leave that thought unaddressed, what happens is you begin to believe it. You begin to conceive it, like it says, and it gives birth to something too. It gives birth to sin. That's why I say nobody wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to go rob a quick shop. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to have an affair and blow my marriage. I'm going to go pawn all my tools off, go down and get me some crack and smoke my brain out. Nobody wakes up one morning and just does that. In fact, whenever somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, it just happened. It just happened. I said, no, it didn't just happen. 
No, it didn't. You may not know how it happened, and I will tell you how it happened. Somewhere in there, a thought. You, you laid hold of it. It was conceived in you. And as soon as it was conceived in you, it consumed you just like a baby consumes a woman. And then it gave birth to sin. It was in there a while, probably baking and germinating. All right. So you got to recognize temptation. That's why when a temptation comes, how do you battle? Listen, everybody, how do you battle a thought? With a word or with, yeah. With, with God's word. A lot of people want to battle a thought with a thought. You battle it with his word. You speak something. You act on something. You obey, all right? So recognize temptation for what it is. Number four, you've got to understand there's a way of escape provided. This is a good one. Temptation comes your way, and then you begin to say this instantly. Because temptation isn't temptation unless it's really drawing you. See, this is easy. Again, if it's somebody offering me cocaine, I'm going, what's the big deal? <laughs> no. But if it's, if it's something important that it's drawing me, you've got to understand. At that moment, you've got to say to yourself, there's a way of escape here somewhere. God has provided a way of escape. I've got to find that way of escape. Understand that whatever comes, there's a way of escape. Number five, keep the right focus in life. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, it says, If then you were raised with Christ Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting on the right hand of God. Verse 2, set, everyone say set. Come on, how do you, you set your mind on things above and not on things in the earth. <laughs> this is going to sound funny, I don't mean for it to, but, and you've heard me say this. I, you know, you can't, whenever I have to go through a grocery store checkout line, I feel like I'm walking through this gauntlet of defilement. And I, that's just how I feel. I say, well, how do you get through that? Because <laughs> I'll go in there and, and, and you're starting, you're putting your stuff on there. And, and of course, you're going to look up some magazine. And you're going to go, oh my God. I can't. Oh, there's one there. Oh, there's one. <laughs> no, you feel like, you feel like this duck that's just getting shot at, you know, at the carnival. You know what helps? I tell you what helps me. I just start praying in tongues under my breath. That really helps me. A lot of times the cashier will go, "Excuse me," I'll say, "I'm just talking. I'm just talking to myself." I'm just... You got to keep your focus. What are you going to do to keep your focus? What are you going to do? What are you going to do to prepare yourself in order that you won't be ensnared? You say, "Well, what's the... come on, Pastor? What's the big? It's a magazine cover." Yeah, where do you think temptation starts? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How serious are you about prevailing and, and beginning to, to press through on these things? Number six, keep away from obvious temptation. Listen, if, you, if you've got an alcohol addiction, you, you don't have a bar ministry. I'm going to help you hear from God right now. If you had an alcohol addiction, I can assure you God is not going to send you back into an atmosphere that's going to ensnare you. I know people have told me for years, well, I can identify with them. Well, you, you need to identify in another area because probably that's not, until you get some real strength. I'm not saying you could never, but I'm saying not soon. Not soon. Psalm 101 verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. If there are things that are obviously a challenge 
then guess what? Stay away. Keep away. Come on. That's Christianity 101. Actually, it's Psalm 101. All right. Then finally, number seven, and, and this is where we'll end. You've got to be aware. You've got to be on your toes of Satan's schemes. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now that verse says a couple things to me. It says that some people are ignorant of his devices. That's why hopefully you're here and you're listening because to some extent we're trying to help you become aware of his devices so that you're not ensnared. And then once you're aware of his devices, you've got a leg up. You've got an advantage. If you don't know his devices, then, then what happens is you can indeed be ensnared. And sometimes I think that's why, that's why, uh, uh, you know, baby Christians, nascent believers, sometimes get ensnared so easily is because they just don't have the experience under their belt or they haven't heard the wisdom yet that enable them to press through certain scenarios that could ensnare them. Come on. You know, you'd be amazed. I had to sit down years ago with, with a man who was in sales. And um, he was flying all over the country for his business uh, with a woman that was on the sales team, but they were being sent together on airlines overnight in other cities on the same airplane, in the same hotel, in order to do business for this company. And I asked him one time, I said, you think that's good? And it kind of did never dawned on him, never thought about it even. You know, it's just, well, you know, my company said I had to do it. My boss said I had to do it. And I said, well, think about it for just a minute. You think that's smart? And then all of a sudden, just asking that question, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. He says, well, pastor, what should I do? It's my job. I said, well, let's just do something radical like ask your boss if it could be changed. Just tell him. Just tell him you're a family man. Just tell him it doesn't look good. Tell him for the company's sake. You wouldn't want something. And not that there is anything, but don't you think it would be smarter to send two guys out? And you just, then, you, then the wives would be happier and the men would be happier. And it just, it just solves so many internal issues. You'd probably have a happier company. I mean, just present it in a way. And you know what? He just went to his boss and did it in a real kind way. And you know what? His boss never thought about it either. But as soon as his boss heard it, he said, you know, you're right. We just probably need to just stop that whole practice throughout the whole company. And they did. Isn't that amazing? But if you're not aware or if you're ignorant of his schemes, because nobody just wakes up one morning and says, well, today's the day. I'm just going to throw it all down the tubes, throw it all down the drain. No, no, no. It happened when you got on the plane and you went on 15 sales trips together and you just began to develop something. And then all of a sudden, temptation came. The thought entered. It was, birth, or it was conceived. And then it came and it was birthed into sin. That's how it happens. Amen? It happens this way in so many areas of life. I don't want you to fall. I want you to prevail. Now, the good news is that if you're ensnared and you fall, you have an advocate. You've got to get back up, dust yourself off, get right with God, and get back on the journey. And don't, don't let that be a lesson you have to learn again. All right? That's the good news. The good news is, is that you can 
be redeemed. But here's, here's the better news. Instead of letting the cross redeem you continually over and over again from your failures, why don't you let the cross empower you to prevail so that you can have a life of integrity and credibility so that God could use you in major ways? That's, that's what we're shooting for. Amen? All right. Stand with me. It's 730. I get to cut you loose now.